Welcome to Talking Giants, boys and girls, presented by John Boy Media. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Panic. Today's show, we got some transactions to go through. Nothing major, but we got some stuff. And then we're going to do a quick little preview of Patrick Graham's defense and Jason Garrett's offense. Just a little quick. We're not going to go deep dive like some people may be accustomed to for us. Just some basic stuff to be expected. Um, but Justin, how you doing? How was your weekend? What's going on, man? Training camp is starting to feel real. <laughs> it's starting to feel real. I think we're on very different spectrums because I was able to watch a video that the Giants sent to their regular season ticket holders, which we can get to maybe after we talk a little bit of transactions, and that's a part of the news. But I watched that video this morning. It's actually going to be public, I think, at like 4 p.m. Tuesday. So by the 10 or 10 a.m. Oh, never mind. Four, totally got that time wrong. Where did I get 4 p.m.? The whole world's already seen it. You clipped the whole thing. I, I basically Twitter. did. I basically took advantage of being a regular season ticket holder. I clipped a lot of the video, put it on Twitter for everybody to see. So hopefully the Giants don't shut down my account. But Bobby, I'm good. Had a good weekend. Uh, I think Saturdays are now becoming like that day where I kind of go down to a friend's house, lounge down by the pool. I don't have a pool anymore, and I don't have a lot of friends who have pools. So I go down to like a family friend's house. Lounge out by the pool, have a good time. Uh, you encountered a storm, or did you, this weekend? Kinda. Which, by the way, it should be hitting you guys mm-hmm. soon, so enjoy that. I don't know. Usually, you get people like panicking for the hurricanes and stuff. This one, there was just none at all, and it really didn't even hit us. I mean, my power went out for a few hours. But besides that, I mean, we got some wind gusts. It was nothing crazy. I mean, the, you would have thought the tropical storm would have been the craziest thing of the day, and my craziest thing of the day on Sunday was there was a cow running <laughs> loose. I was visiting with my parents, and my dad comes into the other room. He's like, there's a cow outside. And then so we started chasing the cow for the next 20 minutes. That was that was funny. I've watched that video probably 20 times because in, in that eight-second clip, you're analyzing, like, you can't just grab it. It's not like a dog. There's some old. There was some old guy chasing it around. It's like, what does this guy think he's gonna you can't do? Just grab it. Like, <laughs> it's a cow. What was funny is my my cousin, um, who he's he's autistic and he was wearing a bright red shirt. He was in our my, our front yard, and this 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 I guess it's a steer because it's a it's a boy cow, um, and it's coming right at him and he just doesn't know what to do. And he you know he hides behind something, but it's that was pretty funny. And then the cops showed up, and then, you know, I had the easy joke of, look, it's a cow and two pigs. Um, oh, but oh that, no. You know, we're, pro, we're a pro-police podcast, we're but that, pro, that's, that's a we're funny pro one right people, there. We're pro-everybody podcast, okay? We're, we're, we're a pro-everybody podcast. <laughs> but it was just an easy joke. It's a layup <laughs> joke. I It had it had to be made. So it was, uh, it, I mean, that was that was pretty entertaining. And then finally, my dad, being the guy he is, he was the one who actually got it back to its, its barn. Oh, good. Your father's a great man. Did he get a reward? No. I mean, my my, my, my dad's the guy in the neighborhood who's willing to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, they can't stand him at some times, but when they need him, they need him. Um, I mean, I remember my dad bringing an alligator home one day. It's like, what? Was it alive? How do you do that? 
Oh, yeah, he did it legitimately Steve Irwin style. Like, jump off a boat and grab it. I want to be like your dad when I grow up. I don't know. It's, it's kind of it's kind of nuts. Like, people are like, oh, Bobby, you're not that crazy. And it's like, no, I'm really not com- comparatively so. So, it was it was good. All right, let's talk about the Giants, though. I feel like we could, we could ramble a little bit for the first five minutes. We haven't done that in a while. Justin, we got some transactional news. For one, the Giants claimed... Wide receiver from the Browns, Tony Brown. Uh, he was an undrafted free agent out of Colorado. I watched his highlight tape. I mean, I guess give him a shot with uh, the other three undrafted free agents. I, I, I don't yeah, pretty, know. Yeah, pretty crowded room we're dealing with right now. Yeah, so is this really the number four wide receiver is a huge question mark. Um, and Damari Scott opted out, so that's another number uh, another wide receiver who, you know, he got, he got reps last year. I mean, we can always remember the uh, – the game where he dropped the snap on the sweep pass and it counted as a fumble for Daniel Jones. Leonard Williams has a non-football injury, uh, a, a non-football injury list injury. I guess it's a tight hamstring. I don't, I don't put much into that, but it is funny, Justin, that every time, every time Leonard Williams' name is brought up, it's just we have the same exact debate every time. It's like I, I no one's changing their mind on it. So I just don't understand why that guy's name. I, I mean, I do understand, but anytime that guy's name is brought up. It just goes into a whole debate about the trade, how good of a player is, uh, what do you put into sacks. Um, yes, he's only on the tag, but it's it just every time it turns into this unbelievable debate. It's a cycle of it's a cycle of insanity. That's really what it is. It's just nuts to see. It's like how many times can you do this argument? I I haven't engaged in it since I don't even know. March. I, don't even I think know. the last I time the last, the last time that I really engaged in it was when. I made the YouTube video, the the eight minute YouTube video of why the Giants need to re-sign Leonard Williams, and, and I that think was pre-draft that was that it, pre-free agency, and that literally covered everything uh, except the only take that I think that I had that was wrong was that the money he's going to come down on the asking price because typically when, of course, I would also ask for seventeen sixteen million dollars, but he's not going to get seventeen sixteen million dollars. Well, at least for one year he is. So that's the only thing I was wrong about, but. I'm done. Yeah, is he I'm making over Aaron, I'm He's making it. Aaron Donald money. It is one year. Oh, um, gosh. No, Justin, he's not. I just realized something. We forgot to shout out our new Patreons. Yeah, that was bad. I had that thought that I, oh, I hope he remembers to to do this as we start. But then we started talking about hurricanes and cows and how your dad's an incredible human being. And we just snowballed out of control. All right. So we got Speak Your Mind. Yes. Uh, I know that person on Twitter, yep. but I don't know their real name. And I respect that. Um, we got Sean Sever, who, when he finds out we didn't shout him out, he's going to sever off uh, one mm, of my arms. Our heads. Oh. Yep. Noah Hoffman. We got Chrissy Schmidt, whoever that lady is. Chrissy Schmidt? Uh, that's, my, that's my mother. I'll, 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 oh, I'll shout her out. You're, you're, me and you are different in that in that way, where it's like you share this with everybody, you tell everyone, where me, mm-hmm. it's like I don't talk about talking Giants or anything to anybody. Like basically only my brother, and that's just because he listens to talking sports. He doesn't listen to talking Giants. Oh, well, he's not a Giants fan. That's why. No, no. He's a he's a he's Washington, a Washington fan. football team fan. The Washington Football Club. Um, yes, yeah. because we were big NASCAR fans before football fans, and he was Tony uh, Stewart, Joe Gibbs made the connection. Oh, okay. I, I thought he also maybe could have been a Dale Junior fan. Dale Junior is a big Washington Football Club fan. But I I, and then Sean O'Connell. It's also it's also different. So thank you to our patrons. Um, Two dollars a month. You get a lot of cool access, behind-the-scenes things. You get to see us as we, as we record podcasts. You get access to like early blogs. A lot of fun stuff. Thank you to our patrons. It's really big support. 
But Bobby, one of the main differences I think between you and I is also because I'm just young. So I think I'll get over this by the time, you know, I think there's only a five year age gap between you and I, but I'll get over this as I get older. But this is still new to me. I'm like, whoa, I'm I'm 22 and I'm do I feel like I'm doing all these things and they're a lot, they're very cool. So I want to share them with people. Um, and I think that's where we're different in that regard, where I feel the need because I'm so I mean, you're we're both passionate about this, but I just like to share it with people. We're at 28. It's like, yeah, I do, I do a podcast. And, uh, <laughs> like, you get paid to do that? Wow. I saw uh, I saw a recent tweet, uh, probably, probably a while back, that it used to be, let's start a bar in the 90s. Now it's, let's start a podcast with, like, teenagers oh, and kids. Well, their, what is a group of two or more white guys called? A podcast. Mm. Um, my favorite is, like, we're well, going to talk about sports, but we're going to talk about a little bit of everything, just kind of relax. That's... That's a description for about like every sports podcast ever. So I did see also a tweet from from a woman. This is this I have this is important to preface that she said that a podcast is just an excuse for grown men to get together to talk for an hour. Which I'm like I'm like um, I'm down. Yeah. yeah, we need our excuses. All right, so let's get let's get back into it. Roster moves, and I actually want to talk about this. So we cut eight players: Dana Levine, the defensive end out of Temple. Oluwole Batiku, another defensive end out of Illinois. George Aston, the fullback out of Pitt. He was a second-year guy. I actually, I know I wasn't like banging the table for George Aston, but I did want him to com- compete with Elijah Penny for the fullback role because I do want a true, genuine fullback and not a, a, t- a converted tailback. Our favorite QB, Case, cook us, flip us, and then cook us. He was never going to get a shot. We already had four QBs. And then Shaq Taylor, who we, we, we signed two days ago. Uh, he's gone. Rashawn Golden, Chris Peace, a Virginia guy. So, Justin, I always bragged about how many New York Giants had sacked Daniel Jones, Daniel Levine, and Chris Peace, both gone. And then this one, it's another one where it's like, I don't like this guy as a football player, but I will miss him because I made a lot of jokes about him. Goodbye, John Hilleman. Yeah, goodbye, John Hilleman. In a way, I feel good because I felt bad every time you made a John Hilleman joke since I went to high school with him. So, St. Peter's Prep for Life. I hope you do. So. You're, you're going to be great, John. Whatever you do, you're going to be great. You're going to land on your feet. Um, I'm just happy Dominique Ross isn't cut. Whenever whenever I see a, a list of guys getting cut, as long as Dominique Ross is not on that list, my heart is happy. Yeah, I actually do. Like that's. I know we talk about this, and it is a business, but I do feel bad because like you see Hillman, like he's friends with Darius Slayton, he's friends with guys yeah. on the team, and now he's just cut. You know, and like you know that is life. You move on, but. It's not like you get fired from other jobs. It's like you probably saw it coming. You were stealing. You're stealing. You know, a little bit off the top from this, or you weren't working hard. Whereas this is just like you're just not talented enough. So that I mean that that just sucks. It is what it and is. And you at least thought that you would have the opportunity to work and show it heading into this year, and instead it's just like no, you yeah, don't even get like you've been the spending this whole this whole off season to do this, and you yeah. don't even get. You don't even get like the daily stipend money from camp. No, but they get you know most of them get guarantees um, when they sign their undrafted free agent contracts. That being said, we were talking about this earlier, Justin. It's pretty impressive the little things that Joe Judge does because we everyone like assumed eighty man roster because like oh you don't want to separate the guys and then they go ninety man roster like okay like I I get it like I wasn't expecting it but I get it. But in reality, Joe Judge never had the intention to do the 90-man roster. He just figured, hey, 
while the vets can't be in here for another five days, I might as well keep all those other guys and keep those 10 extra. And that's what he did. And as soon as the vets came back, they cut they cut those guys and got down to 80 so they could be together. That's like little stuff that you just don't expect, you know? Like I'm not it's not even a knock on other people, but I like I would never expected that. The free agent tag with Marcus Golden, little stuff like that where every coach that leaves Bill Belichick gets the comparison. But Joe Judge really is the one that reminds me the most of him of his ability to command a room, to be a jerk but not like be like Matt Patricia, where he has no respect. Right. You know, Brian Flores is his own guy. Bill O'Brien, um, we've seen, I think his biggest issues are as, as a GM, more so than his coaching. You know, like Charlie Charlie Weiss was a Parcells guy. Cornell was a uh, a Parcells guy. And McDaniels, Josh McDaniels was is definitely douche. not. <laughs> I mean, Joe Judge, he seems like the most that is actually like Bill Belichick. I'm yeah. not, listen, Bill Belichick is a mastermind defensive like wizard so i'm not gonna say that joe judges that because he doesn't even work with the defense but like just personality wise he is the one that reminds you of but he also like stays true to himself where like you know you'll talk about in that video he's showing his personality and talking about guys cutting up and stuff like that yeah yeah and by joe judge showing his personality what i think kind of what you're talking about and we haven't seen it fully yet bobby we need to see how an entire season works but he's an attention to detail guy and you see it in that 13-minute video, where, as you know, obviously he can talk about attention to detail in the press conference. He can talk about it in a Zoom press conference, too, which we heard a while back as well with the beat reporters recently. But that 13-minute video, it was Joe Judge. It was Joe Judge walking you through the new facility, quote-unquote, the new facility that they've now made at MetLife Stadium. And, Bobby, I initially thought, this is probably the biggest thing that I pulled from that video, besides the nitty-gritty little details about the cafeteria, how they're doing meeting rooms, Everything is at MetLife Stadium. Everything. I thought, and we initially thought when the Giants were going to do the 90-man roster where it's 45-45, some of it was going to be at the facility itself by the the Quest Diagnostics Performance Center where they actually have their, their regular offices. I thought that some of it was going to be there, and then some of like the locker rooms and players would get ready. They would actually get ready at MetLife Stadium. But that's not the case. They have actually utilized... A lot of the suites at MetLife Stadium and a lot of just the opposing locker rooms, their own locker rooms, they've used all of this extra space inside MetLife Stadium. That is now their new facility. I don't even know how much they're even going back to that old facility in that building, but what they're doing is they're shuttling the players from MetLife Stadium to the practice field back in parking lot K, which is a very far walk, which I will tell you what, Bobby, as a regular season ticket holder, I now want to be shuttled to and from parking lot K because that is a heinous, terrible walk. And I wanted those coaches. It would be good conditioning. It would be either a good warm up or it would be a good cool down to take that walk from MetLife Stadium to parking lot K into the practice field. But neither here nor there. That's my own personal quarrel with the Giants. But that was I made my biggest the walk thing. from the stadium to Quest Diagnostics in 20 degree weather after the Eli's last game. So. Wasn't that it wasn't that bad, Justin. You didn't you didn't park that far with me. Yes, we didn't I didn't park. My brother came and picked me pick me us up. Oh. So and instead of him coming into the parking lot, he just parked on the side by the highway. So well, you did it once. We, I've been doing it for years. All right, Justin. Um <laughs> walking is it's good for you, man. So yeah. I mean anything else from that video? I just saw, you know, the lunch tables, they mm-hmm. each have their own table with oh, the yeah. facing each other. Yeah, this, this again, the attention to detail. 
This is how that starts, people. <laughs> They're wearing tracking devices where, uh, again, NFL Next Gen, NFL Next Gen data player tracking stats. Right? It's it's even evolving to when these guys are just in the facility. They're tracking how close players are getting towards each other and yada, yada, yada. I could honestly care less about that because Kevin, uh, Kevin Finnery, um, that's not his real name, but he's, uh, he used to be New York Soprano. Everybody knows I'm on Yankees Twitter as like the Soprano guy. And he commented on talking giants. It's like, why are they like caring about all this distancing in the cafeteria and player tracking stuff when they're tackling each other on the field anyway. So it's all lip service. But anyway, back to that point about the actual cafeteria itself and talking about the attention to detail that Joe Judge gives literally to everything, and we got to see it. It's not just, that's not lip service. Joe Judge was giving, was walking us through in that video about, look, we have designed our cafeteria, which is now in MetLife Stadium. They've kind of transformed one of the suites, and we've designed the tables a group of five socially distant groups of like little mini tables for everybody to be facing towards each other so you can get that socialization with the players and the coaches and the camaraderie that you would usually get in a regular training camp setup. And it's like, again, like the level of detail that has to go into what this summer is to try and get the status quo of what normally is. Unreal. Unreal. If anything, that video gave me more anxiety than anything, but... It's <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like this is crazy. Just to like go and meet. Uh, I will say Joe Judge is a good tour guide. I mean, yes, I mean, better than any tour guide I've ever had. Yeah. He had a he prepared so. he prepared two days for that for that YouTube video itself. So there you go. <laughs> My man is attention to detail. Figure it out. Did we have any other news before we hit this Graham Garrett stuff? Um, are you slamming your head against the wall for any undrafted free agent that was cut? I know the guy from Temple, some people were, were surprised at, but anybody in particular you want to, you want to touch on be like, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if they should have done it. I would say Levine was probably the best one, but he didn't wow me. I remember we talked, basically he just gets off the line quick. Yeah. Um, and if you follow him on Twitter, he's not the smartest guy either. Wow. Um, to be, to be completely honest with you guys know us. We got to be like, we follow these guys. We figure them out. He just wasn't, wasn't all that bright, honestly. Like he was mad. He was mad that he didn't get a Madden rating, but then he's like, y'all probably disrespect me and give me a 68 anyway. It's like, dude, you're an undrafted free agent. You should be honored to get a 68 in Madden. Yeah. Especially with the way they do the ratings. Fix Nick Gates rating Madden. Oh, that's it. We that's yeah. the news we just missed. Nick Gates signed his freaking extension. Yeah, I was gonna tell you as soon as you were done talking about the undrafted free agents. Um, I know also you were you were I iffy can't about. We forgot about that. I know. It, it I was, was I was going to tell you. I was gonna tell you. I did for. I did remember. I did not forget. I forgot for a little while, but then I remembered. But you were also mad about the not mad, but you were like, ah, eh, I I wanted to see some more fullback competition with Elijah Penny. Uh, but anyway, he's gone. Doesn't matter. Nick Gates was extended. I can't believe we forgot the Nick Gates stuff. We should okay. almost put this at the beginning of the show. It's okay. <sighs> Nick Gates is a starter. I am. I, I'm. I'm legitimately bo- like bothered that we didn't do that. Um, Nick Gates is a starter. I went and watched some more film of him, Justin. I'm tempted to throw him at right tackle because oh boy. We, he was oh. really good there. He was really good there. Now the Giants, the Giants know where they're going to play him. They know whether he's going to yeah. play center or right tackle. 
Um, so I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not banging my head over that because I, they know where they're going to play him and I'm fine wherever they play him. My whole thing was he better be starting week one, whether it's at center or right tackle. Um, and he will be, but man, the kid's good, dude. He doesn't make any mental mistakes. I'm glad they extended him, got him on this uh, good deal. What is it? It's a, you know, two years, $6 million with can be up to as much as 10 mil. Hopefully he does make that 10 mil because that means he's been playing and playing well. Right tackle, I, I, he played really well in his games at right tackle. The thing with center, though, is that that is his best position to be successful long term. You know, where we drafted Matt Parrott. Um, now, I'm not going to not play him at right tackle because of Matt Parrott. Because I'm not, like, you play good players where they can play. But I think center is, like, the best spot for him. Like, hey, man, this is where you're going to be for the next 10 years. I think Dan Duggan was answering some uh, replies to his tweets today, and he don't know if this is from what he's heard or don't know if this is just something that he feels, which regardless of wh- which one it is, I will trust him since we stand for Dan Duggan. Dan Duggan did say that center may be a spot that maybe he's leaning towards right now. Um, so when we possibly have some of these guys on the show and some of these beat reporters on the show, I'd be interested to see which spot they're leaning towards having Nick Gates play. I'm still on this good metaphor that we said last week, Bobby, about you would rather have the car crash happen, um, what, in front of you or on your right side compared to a spot where you can't really react. I would rather have that car crash happening on the side of me. So therefore, if I can step up in the pocket and I can have some pocket mobility, which we know Daniel Jones needs to work on and he can't just be a statue back there. So I would rather have that anchor up kind of in the middle and then, hey, Cam Fleming, Whoever is going to be playing at right tackle, Kevin Zeitler can help you out a little bit. We can have some tight end chips, um, and you can be serviceable. We're going to cut Kevin Zeitler. Oh, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Man, just keep digging, the, digging those graves. All right. All right. So, we, I mean, we people who have listened to us know where we stand on Nick Gates. Yeah. I mean, I think his PPP is going to be fun. All right, Justin. Let's throw it to DraftKings, and then we'll talk Garrett and Graham.
Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, Justin. Let's do a little preview of our offensive coordinator, defense coordinator. We're planning on doing this episode. Uh, we're not going to go crazy, but just some tendencies and things to expect. And Justin, I know you wrote a blog about Jason Garrett. So yep. an offense is more fun than defense. So I'll kick it to you. Give us some Jason Garrett stuff. Let's talk about the cat. Yeah, so first of all, uh, go to TalkingGiants.com. Go to TalkingGiants.com. The truth about Jason Garrett's offense. I did a deep dive blog with the help of uh, Pavel, Pavel Vob, who's an, a Giants analytics source on Twitter. We put together some graphs. And basically, I wanted to ask, we all know that post-2011, which that's when Jason Garrett gave up the play-calling duties, we all know that Dallas ran the ball a lot. We all know between DeMarco Murray and between Ezekiel Elliott these last few years, we all know that Dallas runs the ball a lot. But I knew and I figured that when Jason Garrett was as a play caller, which I think is important, Bobby, I think the scheme has been very similar since Jason Garrett walked in the door and now Jason Garrett has walked out of the door. I think the scheme has been very similar, but the play calling tendencies is what I really wanted to get at and it's what we're going to get at right now. So that's the whole premise of that blog. So go to TalkingGiants.com and basically what I found... And I, what I really looked at was rush rate versus efficiency on first down, rush rate versus efficiency on second and long. And what I found is that his pass rate and that rush rate, when he was the primary play caller, let's start with first down first. His offenses rushed the seventh least by percentage on first down, despite being the seventh most efficient. So a lot of people have this mindset that Jason Garrett is going to bring a hashtag establish the run mentality to a Giants where that rush rate is going to be tremendously, tremendously high. Bobby, at the end of the day, I hope the Giants rush rate is high because that means we're ahead in games and we're not throwing constantly. I hope that we're running the ball a lot, but also I like to look at situational analysis of, hey, what are the Giants doing on first and long? What are the Giants doing on second and long, third and short? Third and short, you want to be running the ball. That's the downs that you want to be running, really. Um, so let's jump the second down, but that's good for first down that Jason Garrett, he's throwing the ball. He's aggressive on first down. He's trying to get those yards. Giants were very bad in 2019 in their yards per average in terms of throwing the ball on first down. It was 5.7 yards per attempt. That's putrid. Let's jump to second down for Jason Garrett. While he was the play caller, 2007 to 2011, their rush rate was eighth least on second downs, greater than or equal to seven yards. These numbers, they encouraged me a lot, not just because of the low rush rate, but because let's Let's talk about the efficiency. Very, very efficient on first down and second down, rushing the ball. Um, Bobby, that's where I'm going to be looking this year about this Giants team. I'm not necessarily just looking for, hey, does Daniel Jones throw for 350 yards? Is Saquon Barkley rushing for 150 yards? I'm looking for efficiency. Is this offense efficient? I'm not just looking at volume. And Jason Garrett, you can say a lot of things about his offense, especially from those years of 2007 to 11. They were efficient, if not that. So basically, you could check out the rest of the blog for a lot of other stats, a lot of other metrics, a lot of other measurements. Jason Garrett ran an efficient offense for the time that he was a primary play caller. It was ahead of his time. He was throwing the ball at a very high rate. He was efficient while he was rushing the ball. He was operating out of the shotgun a ton and a decent amount. It was actually top 10, top seven in the National Football League when he was operating out of the shotgun. Daniel Jones is much better operating out of the shotgun than he was under center. And there's and there's data to back. Yeah, he's a shotgun QB. Yeah. So, you know, gone, gone. I'm kind of over this perception, Bobby, that, you know, we can have 12, we can have 12 personnel in the shotgun. 
but I'm kind of like over this perception that I want to be running your center a lot, a lot, a lot, and I want to be having rushing formations under center. It also seems that Saquon Barkley is better rushing out of the shotgun too compared to under, under center because you're least likely, because you're not as likely to see those big boxes, those, those seven, eight-man boxes when you're operating out of the shotgun. It's not as likely. So it seems that the roles are there for everybody. Evan Ingram, Caden Smith, can they operate as the Jason Witten and utilize that Y option? Can Darius Slayton be kind of like a Des Bryant and extend the field? Can Golden Tate be that yak guy that kind of fits in any kind of offense? Sure. And can Golden um can Sterling Shepard be a Cole Beasley that's a high catch percentage guy and he's a security blanket? Uh, and obviously the comparisons between Barkley and the good running backs that have been there in Dallas, that's there. It's all there, it's all fair. So the formula is there. It's just how is the execution going to look? I'm excited looking at Jason Garrett's tendencies as a play caller. It makes me excited to see what he can do and how he's learned and how he's progressed this system. Yeah, man, you look at Dallas and especially last year and you're just like, how did they how did they not win the division, you know? Like Dak was had like an all-time year passing-wise. You know, I think they were like 5th in rushing and they were like top 4 efficiency-wise in rushing. And it's like, just how do they not put it all together? So this is not necessarily Jason Garrett related, but I want to ask you. So analytics says to throw more on first down. And I, that's something with analytics where I'm all in on that. You need, you should throw more on first down, but like with a guy like Saquon, Zeke, like, do you give like an extra two, three times to those guys on first down? Or, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, everything is balanced, right? Everything is balanced. You should not be throwing every single time. On first down, you shouldn't be rushing the ball every single time on first down. But really, Bobby, it's situational analysis. In the first quarter, I want to be throwing the ball. I want to be aggressive, and I want to get up front. And it's also game plan, too. If you're going up against a tremendously tough passing defense, and you know what? Saquon Barkley should be getting an extra few carries on first down and second down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also very situational for me, where I am loving being aggressive in the first quarter because I'm looking at the data from other teams as well. Being very aggressive in the first quarter because I've also seen how teams are very conservative in the first quarter. They're trying to establish the run. And then it's not really it's not really working that well for them. So they're much more aggressive in the second quarter in terms of their pass rates are much higher. There's also you have teams that are starting to play from behind as well, like the Giants. So, yes, are there exceptions for guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley? Yes, I would be giving them one or two extra carries in the first quarter compared to if I had a Wayne Gallman or a Jonathan Hillman. But situationally, and having that context, first quarter, the game is close. We need to have an emphasis this year for this Giants team. Jason Garrett needs to have this extra emphasis. And this may be a like a like a no shit Sherlock kind of statement, Bobby. But we need to get the lead early in games. That's what this Giants team is built. They're built off of getting lead early in games. Saquon Barkley. Is he not the best weapon on this football team? So feeding him in quarters two through four, that should be Jason Garrett's main priority in 2020 to get off to these early leads, get Daniel Jones going efficiency-wise early in games, so then Saquon Barkley can pound the rock in the second half, quarters two through four. Yeah, and this may be more of a Dak Prescott thing, but the Cowboys, I have noticed so much more that if they get the lead first quarter, they're they're good. But when they're playing from behind in the game... That's when they seem to struggle. And I think that might be more indicative of Dak Prescott than anything, but that's just something I've, I've noticed with Dallas the last couple of years. Daniel Jones has experience 
if there's anything that you could say that's good from his rookie year in terms of the adversity that he went through, Daniel Jones has the experience from playing and behind in games because 75% of the games, besides maybe the two games that we played against Washington, 75% of the games he was playing from behind, uh, especially that triumphant effort that he gave during the Jets game where he really tried to will this team with an injured Saquon Barkley who only had one rushing yard that game. We were missing Nate Solder on the left side. I'm sure we were, I think we were missing Mike Remmers in that game we as were. well. Um, we were missing Jalapio too. Pulley was horrible that oh game. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, so uh, Daniel Jones has the experience from playing from behind. So I'm not worried if Daniel Jones has to have the ball in his hands and we're telling the kid to go. But I think Daniel Jones is going to be the best version of himself and Jason Garrett's offense is the best version of itself. When we have the lead, when the passing game is efficient, and then when Saquon Barkley can do what he has to do um, and pound the rock. Right. Yeah, and then so for, I guess from my point of view, the Air Coriel, this isn't me breaking any news. Most people know how it works. But it's a lot of vertical stuff, and people thought like, well, with Tate and Shep, can you be like this? these vertical guys? You can use Ingram. It doesn't mean you have to be vertical on the outside. Now, I think Slayton – it's a great role for him, and I think Slayton's going to get a lot of deep shots last, this year, like he did last year. That seemed to be like the Jones, like, hey, I got one-on-one. I'm giving a, a guy, uh, giving my guy a chance, and they really seem to have good chemistry doing that, even go back to the preseason. So I think you're going to get a lot of that. And if you don't, there's going to be stuff underneath, you know, if they're playing too high. So I, I, I think it's going to be, like, really well for Jones. And the thing with Jones is like, hey, man, when it's not there, you got to come back down low quick. That's Jason Garrett has to be pounding that, and Jerry Shuplinski has to be pounding that in his head. Be like, man, if they don't show that it's going to be there, you got to come down quick. And that's where where you talk about the Y stick a ton with Evan Ingram, Caden Smith, that look there, second progression, and then you just got to trust that those guys are going to be in the right place yeah. after that. You know, yeah. and that's where it could be a big year for the tight ends. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of mental stuff because all offseason, Bobby, we've been talking about. Air Coriel, meaning extending the field, looking down the field. And this is one of the things that absolutely shocked me when I was compiling data on Jason Garrett's offense when, while he was the primary play caller. The Cowboys were fourth least in air yards per attempt between 2007 to 2011. So I talk a lot of depth of target on this podcast in terms of where receivers are being targeted on the football field. So fourth least in air yards per attempt, fourth least in average depth per target Jason Garrett's offense was between 2007 to 2011. Now, again, it's it's a balance between are you being Eli Manning and Dump Off City or are you being Drew Brees where this is designed and you are designed to have the quick, intermediate, short passing game. So I was actually kind of surprised, but also not surprised. I guess my eye test was thinking, oh, Air Coriel, you're going to expand the field. But then you see the data and you're like, okay, that makes sense because then you remember the Cole Beasley types, Jason, um, Jason Witten, what he would do is he would live off of that Y option. Like we said, Bobby, where that wouldn't be very deep down the field. We're not talking about 15 yards down the field where you're targeting guys. You know, Jason Witten is running those routes, maybe somewhere between six to 12 yards down the field. That's not a very big depth of target. Yeah. And with the vertical stuff, doesn't mean you're throwing vertical a ton. It right. just means you're running vertical routes, which stretches the field. So now, uh, with the run game, they ran a lot of zone stuff. Uh, I think a part of that is how good the Dallas offensive line was, that you could run a bunch of zone stuff. I don't know. But I, I really do hope that Jason Garrett steals some stuff from Kyle Shanahan and Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, where it's a lot more pulling and trapping and stuff. And I'm a big believer, just steal plays, steal stuff from other <laughs> offensive coordinators. If you're not, If you're an offensive coordinator 
and you're not watching film of every offense in the NFL in the offseason and stealing stuff from it, then I don't think you're a good offensive coordinator. So hopefully Garrett, now that he doesn't have that head coach role, can go and do that. And we play some more of that trapping stuff because, you know, this offensive line's improved, but it's not the Dallas offensive line where they could just show up and be better than everybody else. So you got to take advantage of that kind of stuff. And those trap stuff, like it helps weaker offensive lines be more effective in the run game when teams stack boxes and you still want to run it a little bit. You know, obviously Jones needs to check out of it, but sometimes you just want to run the ball. When you pull a couple of guys, that's how you can still get an advantage when you have, you know, maybe one extra guy in the box or something. So hopefully, hopefully he steals some of that crap. All right, Bobby, I kind of guess I gave my thoughts on Jason Garrett. Overall, I'm feeling great about how when he was a play caller, I'm feeling great about how analytically advanced he was. Now, I don't exactly know how to fully like intake when I look at data from when he was not the play caller. When I look at data from maybe Scott Linehan, Kellen Moore, Bill Callahan, I love that 2014 season. You know, I've I've set up before on this podcast where that 2014 season where they went 12 and four and Tony Romo threw the ball. It was the least amount that he threw the ball when he started 16 games. Tony Romo. That was the least amount that he threw the ball in, in all of his career. But DeMarco Murray absolutely went off this year. But Romo was extremely efficient, and that's why he was an MVP candidate, even though he didn't throw the ball a lot. So, you know, there's multiple ways to have a successful football team. Breaking news, Bobby. You could be the Kansas City Chiefs where you're throwing the ball a lot and you're throwing the ball a ton. Or you could be the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers where you're running the ball. And Dallas has had football teams with Jason Garrett as offense coordinator and head coach where they've had both of those teams It just turned out that while Garrett was the coordinator, you didn't really have, a lot of the time, you didn't really have that rush rate very, very high, especially on first down, especially on second down. So, Bobby, how are you feeling about Jason Garrett as a whole? Because I'm feeling feeling good, especially when I look at the data and I see that he's advanced in some regards. Yeah, because anytime he's been an offensive coordinator, he's had successful offenses and, you know, everyone speaks ravingly about him. No, he wasn't a good head coach. I mean, I don't think even like close to a good head coach. I know he went through a lot of stuff, but he had a lot of talent, and they didn't win games. Um, and, you know, maybe you could put that on, you know, Tony Romo being injured a ton, and then Dak Prescott, you know, some of his deficiencies. But I feel good. I definitely feel more com- – I, I feel more confident in Garrett to be good than I do Graham, where Graham is like, we'll see. You know, there's some stuff I like, but let's <laughs> we'll see because we didn't see anything good in Miami – and that's because, you know, a big part of that is Miami had nobody on defense. But let me let me rewind what's funny when you said it's different teams do different things. I just made it the Super Bowl when it was like just like it was a battle of like run the ball versus pass every play. In reality, what that Super Bowl meant was like, hey, look, this shows that you should play to what your personnel is and play the best. Yeah. It does it doesn't it's not one or the other. It's showing that both like you can win football uh in different ways. Um and I love people like the Chiefs are just the most pass happy offense. It's like, yeah, because they got Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so, I would be so, very pass. I would be doing that too if I was, you know, put Patrick Mahomes on the Titans, and I bet you they're not running the ball as much. So this is my whole point with this offseason, especially post NFL draft, and I think you would agree with this. The Giants, personnel wise, I'm not talking about talent wise. I'm talking about personnel wise and who they have on their football team. They are much closer to trying to be like a Tennessee Titans um, and San Francisco 49ers, not really Baltimore Ravens because they have a a very run-heavy quarterback, but they're more closer to being like the Titans and 49ers than they are to the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Yeah, I would say they're about as close to in the middle of the, than any than than most teams though, because you have you have Saquon who you know is a top three running back in the NFL, and then you got Jones who you trust with some weapons. I mean, I think we're going to be a very balanced offense. I really do. I really think we're going to be balanced. Obviously, if we're down 21 points in the first quarter, then the balance goes away. But I think yeah. we're going to be a pretty balanced offense. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Graham. I, I don't want to go too crazy on him, but just some interesting stats and some stuff I noticed from him, Justin. I guess we go through it. It's no secret that my man loves man coverage, and so do I. And But he plays it a ton. I, I can't believe he played that much man coverage with that Miami Dolphins talent. Yep. Now, maybe he just thought it out. It's like, hey, I can't trust these guys to do their zone stuff. I'm just going to have them line up and play man. If they get beat, they get beat. But they played press man 481 times, which was fifth most in the NFL. Man coverage 50% of the time. I mean, that's tops of the league right there. Cover zero, which means you're blitzing um, either six or seven guys. And so basically, you're you're rushing as many guys as they don't have receivers. So if they have five receivers, you're blitzing six. If they have four guys going out, you're blitzing seven. He did that 28 times, which is seventh most in the NFL. And Justin, he blitzed um, on third down 41% of the time. And I'll talk, I'll come back to why I like that stat the most, which was second most in the NFL. Um, he blitzed the 12th most in the NFL at 32%. Justin, the out of those stats that I like the most, the tw- you know, you look at blitz tw- uh, 12th most in the NFL, and you're like, oh, he doesn't blitz that much. The thing I ba- pounded on the table for last year with James Betcher was like, hey, I don't need you to blitz 50% of the time, dude. But on third down, we cannot play back in the zone coverage and let teams just pick apart because we don't have the pass rushers to do that. Right. And we saw that happen over and over again. I remember the Jets game. I got so frustrated with people be- like defending James Betcher that I went and broke it down. Like, here's on third down when they blitz, and Sam Donald was one for six with like an inter- or no, no interceptions. And here's when they didn't blitz, and he was six for seven for like 120 yards and a touchdown. And it just made the difference. And basically, it's don't let a QB sit back there and just make the easy throw. And that's what happened. And so when you blitz, yes, you are trusting guys and, you know, some Giants corners who might not be that good in man coverage, but you're making, you're forcing that QB to make a quick decision. So if it's an out, if it's a 10 yard outbreaking route, you might be there by the time he throws it. And it doesn't even matter if your guy's coverage because he's throwing a bad throw or he's not able to throw it where he wants to. So that's what I like the most out of those stats is the fact that he blitzes on third down. I'm not asking for Wink Martindale blitzing 52% of the time, but on third down passing situations, I need to see some blitzes out of you. And Patrick Graham showed that. And that's probably the thing I like the most about him. Yeah, I I guess this is Bobby's point. We're okay with Carson Wentz making a pretty darn good throw on a third down if it's over the top on Corey Ballantyne and pressure is in Carson Wentz's face. We're not okay with Carson Wentz making a pretty good throw on third down over Corey Ballantyne when there's no pressure in Carson Wentz's face or not even an attempt to get pressure in Carson Wentz's face. I think that's kind of like your overall point there, Bobby. Yeah, because good QBs will figure out your zone. I mean, Tom Brady made a career out of it. And I'll just be like, hey, there's going to be, there's always going to be holes in zone. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. And teams did that. Not It wasn't even just like good teams. Bad teams did that against us all year long. And especially Betcher. And the fact that he plays press man, I like too. Because Betcher, even when he played man, he'd be playing guy like, It'd be third and eight, and he'd have guys playing nine yards off the ball. And it's like, man, you're just making it way too easy for these guys on third down. Where it's like, I can make these decisions on third down if I was playing QB. 
Fourth and one, fourth yeah, and two. So, it would be they would be playing nine nine yards off the line of scrimmage, and it's like that. That's a walk yeah. in the park. You're giving them the first down. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would get furious at that stuff when I would go back and look at it. So I, I like that stuff. The blitzing is a pretty good rate. Um, you know, not crazy, but I I wouldn't expect them to go crazy with that. But again, situational. Um, you we're you know we're what we're trying to do again at Talking Giants, and this is what I'm trying to do as a fan. This is what I'm going to be trying to do different from everybody else throughout the entire season. I want to be looking at things from a situational lens, not just being like, oh, the blitz percentage was this amount, blah, 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 blah. Because obviously, let's just say this, Bobby, you know, uh, you can argue that blitz percentages can be inflated with losing teams because if they're behind in football games, then the opposing offense, they're running the ball. So if the rush is very predictable, then you're more likely to blitz guys anyway. So we're, we're trying to think of things, think of football in a nuanced way and, we like that on third downs, the blitz percentage was as high high as it was. It was second highest in the National Football League. That makes you and I feel pretty darn good. Right. Now, the bad thing about running that much man coverage, Justin. Mm-hmm. Now, this actually isn't the worst thing in the world, but you can guys can get beat. Um, you know what I'm saying? And with our outside James Bradbury, we got guys that may be very vulnerable to getting beat. They had the most. Now, this isn't necessarily like ooh, like they got beat like this. It just means QBs were throwing it like this. They had the most average intended air yards against them. Oh. Now, that doesn't mean those passes were completed, but they had the most, like, like teams were throwing further down the field against the Miami Dolphins more than any team. Part of that's talent. Part of that is the man coverage stuff. Um, wish Where'd they you find that? Make a Fitzpatrick around. Pro football reference. Oh, nice. That, nice. That? That's nice. Analytics. A- uh, de- depth of target. That's exactly what I was talking about with Jason Garrett. So that's uh, that's interesting because because the Giants were very susceptible last year. Um, Danny King actually just put a deep dive blog out um, on Monday about what went wrong in the 2019 Giants season. And Giants were one of the teams that were most susceptible to. And you don't really need an- analytics to tell you. This is what the eye test tells you, tells you. That in terms of explosive plays... You know, 30 yards downfield, you know, and then I think the the stat that Sharp Football Analysis puts out is 16-plus yards. They count those as explosive plays. 16-plus yards down the field, the Giants were one of the most susceptible teams in the NFL to that. So, oh, I didn't know that. That's going to be something that's, that's, that's thrown in the wrinkle here about Patrick Graham. Bobby, my biggest concern about Patrick Graham's defense, and this goes right to the you're, you're, you're mouthing analytics to the microphone, and I'm I'm, I'm an analytics it. guy. Y'all didn't know about that about me. <laughs> that was sneaky. I'm very impressed. Um, my biggest concern, and it very much goes to being susceptible in man coverage and allowing deep plays down the field, is single high safety. Last year, a pro's pro in Antoine Bethea, I don't necessarily think it was the athleticism and that he was old, <laughs> why he struggled at single high free safety, but it was yeah, because... that was a big part of it. Well, I but I also thought it was like the mental things, the mental part of the game of playing single high free safety. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. I think it's one of the toughest things to do to one of the toughest positions to play on a defense and in, in the game of football in general. So Patrick Graham seems to be very married to that concept as well, just like James Betcher was that you have to be running with that single high safety while you're going to have another safety who's in the box or you're going to be have having another safety who's going to be lining up next to the linebacker. So. That concerns me about being susceptible to deep plays down the field when you're going to be playing a free safety when we don't really have on the football team right now a guy who can play single high free safety. Yeah, so this is where 
my film study of Patrick Graham comes in. This is where the meathead in me comes out. Here's the things I noticed. He would run a single high concepts, Justin. And I like this. I love this because it's so simple and it changes things. And obviously you can't do it all the time. But he a lot of times he would line up in two high, which means two safeties deep. Um, and then as soon as the play would roll, one would roll down, one would go play that high roll. And it just makes him it just makes it a little more confusing for a, a QB. Where you just can't it's just not all out in front of you. You know, you gotta be thinking. And then they would do both things. And I think with Peppers and McKinney, I feel like that's a perfect role for those guys. So that's something I liked about him. So he's is, disguising looks. Yeah, and it's not even like some insane like I remember, you know, me, me and Anthony were going through this. It wasn't like some like, oh wow, this is a, a huge disguise. It's not even like crazy stuff. It's just not giving it you do the easiest stuff. And it also is like, hey, you don't know which one of us is going to be playing down on which side, yeah. and you don't know which one, which means you don't know which outside linebacker is going to pop out. It's just it's just easy stuff to do that James Betcher never did, or, or almost never did. So I like that about him. He likes to do replacement blitzes. So there might be times where it doesn't show up as a blitz on on like the playbook because they're only running rushing four. But he'd be dropping defense alignment out, or he put a bunch of people in the line of scrimmage would rush four and then drop all other guys, you know, blitz a corner, put a defensive end out in the flats, stuff like that. So that's something he did a lot um, and, you know, got some stuff like that. And then there's something he would do that I love, and I can't wait to look for it when the season starts. Every single game, every game, Justin, on third down, Patrick Graham would introduce a new play. And it would be different stuff, like three high safeties. Like three high safeties in man coverage where the outside safeties play down, middle one plays deep. And he did that very successfully against the New England Patriots who were clicking. I mean, they scored 41 points. A couple of those were defensive touchdowns. But still, Patriots put up a lot of points. But it worked on both those third downs, um, including like a man coverage against Antonio Brown because that safety was underneath. So something like that. Or he'll be have rovers where he's got, you know, seven guys standing up, moving around before the play. So basically, it's nothing specific. Every game, there would be something new, different type of play yeah. that he would run twice on third down passing situations, and he would do it twice. So that's something that isn't like, oh, like look out for this play. But I cannot wait to sniff out what that is every single week. Yeah, I was just, I was just about to say, I can't wait for you to find it, and and I know how excited you're going to get when you're going to be like, oh, I haven't seen this before, and then you're going to clip it and you're going to talk about it, which is going to be so exciting. But Bobby, kind of stemming off of your point. The games that Anthony and, I, Anthony and I, we watched back-to-back, I think they happened in consecutive weeks, was the game that the Dolphins played against the Washington Football Club, and then the next week they played against the Eagles. Washington and the Football Team. I say the Washington Football Club. I've been saying that but before. That's not the their evening. name. It's the Washington Football Team. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna continue to disrespect them by not calling them their respect actual name. Respect the name. No, I will not respect. Um, so we watched those games back-to-back together, and one of the, one of the things that we saw that we were getting very nervous about was when we watched against the Washington Football Club, I believe it was, what's his face? Case Keenum at quarterback. Um, and they were playing... The better QB for that team. <laughs> yeah, really. Alex Smith, he's coming back. Is he going to start? I don't know. He's going to give Kyle Allen a uh, run for his money. <laughs> he's going to give Kyle Allen a run for his money. Um, but anyway, we were watching that game, and Anthony and, we, Anthony and I, we were kind of getting concerned. We were kind of getting concerned, because it was a lot of guys in the box, and even in even in passing situations. Now... 
the Washington Football Club is a team that they're going to be having. They're going to be running a lot of plays out of rushing formations. I don't know what they're going to be doing now, but in 2019, they were a team that ran out a lot of rushing formations because they just were not flat out, just not a team that just spread out the field because they didn't have the personnel to do that. How Patrick Graham responded to that was by putting a lot of guys in the box, single high safety, kind of leaving these corners out to dry a little bit. That's what it felt like. And Case Keenum, if you remember in the Giants game week four, Case Keenum probably missed two or three big plays down the field just by overthrowing guys. So Patrick Graham was daring. Case Keenum, I dare you to hit Terry McLaurin 40 yards down the field. I know you can't do it. I'm going to dare you to do it. But then next week, Bobby, against Carson Wentz, game plan totally different. So I'm initially getting concerned, like, oh my God, I'm going to turn on this game tape against Carson Wentz, who's a pretty good quarterback, and he's going to turn, he's going to tear him to shreds, right? Wasn't necessarily the case. Different game plan. He's turning cover ones into cover three, where you're dropping more guys back into coverage than you initially than you initially think. He's disguising looks, and it's different. It's fun and it's refreshing. And we were like, oh gosh, this is this is nice. So that's what I'm really looking forward to, Patrick Graham. That there really is no one blueprint. I guess besides single high safety, that's the thing that makes me most fearful. But there really isn't one blueprint as to how he's going to be playing within his system. Yeah, so I mean, that that's what I got on them. And I think this exercise wasn't to be like, let's pump up these guys. I think it's just more like, hey, what to expect out of them, you know? This isn't like, ooh, Patch Grimm's going to be amazing. It's just some stuff to expect and some stuff to like, some things yeah. that worry you. You know, whereas... As much as you may like to man coverage, it also could be, like you said, scary that he's trusting these guys out on an island so much. So, um, Justin, man, it's been a good show. We'll be back for a player profile and projection tomorrow. Um, you guys have been listening to those like crazy. Appreciate it. Appreciate the Patreon support. And we're on YouTube now, like full videos. Um, we, we're paying this this kid. I'm taking advantage of child labor laws, and oh, I'm geez. paying this kid to to do YouTube videos. Um the kid is super hardworking, man. So yeah. I, I appreciate him. Thank you, Chris. Yes, thank you, Chris. Um, my guy. No, um, I think he's seventeen. So I think I think we can legally pay him. I can't believe I'm saying all this on a podcast. I'm totally yeah, getting myself what in trouble. Um, right we're now. so yeah. Th- thank you for listening. Uh, consider giving to Patreon. We're also one five star <gasps> rating away from two hundred and fifty on the Apple Podcast app. So take your family member's phone. Take your mom's phone, take your dad's phone, take your sister, take your brothers, take your take your take your mom whoever take advantage your wife, of children. Take advantage of children and take advantage of their iPhones Steal and their phones. leave us leave us a five star review on the Apple Podcast app. We're getting close. We're one away from two fifty, and then it's on the road to three hundred from there. So thank you, and we'll see you tomorrow for a PPP. Don't you dare close it out on me because I'm I'm saying dumb stuff. Alright, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Until then, let's go. Big blue.